I will sing of the steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. O when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 101, which along with Psalm 109 are the psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, June the 23rd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing our study in the books of 1 Samuel and Acts and in the Gospel of Luke today. So what we've had in the last few days is the capture of the ark by the Philistines after Eli's uh, sons took it into the battle as some sort of a good luck charm to bring a victory to the Israelites over the Philistines and then the problems that it caused the Philistines to have the ark there, which included tumors. And they ended up sending it back and, and the Israelites received it. And what we're told here in First Samuel 7 is from the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerim, which is where it came to, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented over the Lord. After the Lord, sorry. <clears throat> Why? Why did it take 20 years for them to even think about doing anything with this? When, here's what we say. Here's what we know. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Well, again, it's a, it's a result of the failure of Eli and his sons. Because if they're going to treat the Lord lightly, then the people are going to treat the Lord lightly as well. If you're, they're just going to follow the leader. That's all there is to it. And so they began to follow them, and they decided, well, God's not much of a God. And the proof is his priests don't treat him as much of a God. And so... We're going to go ahead and, and we're going to hedge our bets with the Baals, which are fertility gods, and Ashtaroth, which is a female fertility god. And so they put them away, though. They put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they have to go through this same process again and again throughout their history. We'll see kings come in, and, and they will forget God, and they'll go after these foreign gods. And then a, a reforming king will come and, and bring the people back around. And sometimes he goes all out for that reform, like Josiah did. But then there are others who make half steps in that direction. You know, it, it's a good thing to move in that direction, but it's a better thing to uproot them all and to make sure you get it completely removed from the, from the land because that land belongs to God and it's to be dedicated and devoted to him as are the people. And so the, what Samuel is saying is the reason that you are constantly in fear of the Philistines and you can't get past it has to do with the fact that you've got a mixed um, devotion here. That you're not, you're, if you're not worshiping God with all your heart, if you're worshiping in a, him and in addition other gods, then you're not worshiping him at all. That's the honest truth. You're just not worshiping him if there are other gods in your life because you're serving them as well and you're counting on them to be your portion and your cup. And so Samuel says, gather all Israel at Mizpah. And we don't think that this is the same Mizpah that Jacob and uh, Laban met at where where Laban chases Jacob who has fled with his wives. And remember, Rachel has taken the, uh, the household gods of her father 
and he's looking for the gods. He's more worried about them than he is about his his girls and his grandchildren. And so the, he challenges and accuses, and Rachel hides them, and here we go. So it, it's the they erected stones there to say this is a witness between me and you and so essentially nobody's going to cross past that border that's your land this is my land we're going to be fine as long as we don't cross that and so the lord judged between me and you and so they think scholars think this is a different mizpah it's in the land of benjamin it's close to jerusalem and so samuel says gather all israel at mizpah and i will pray to the lord for you so they gathered and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So why do they draw water and pour it out before the Lord? Well, it's part of the feast, actually. And and what it's saying is, is prior to the rainy season, what they're saying is, is that we we believe the Lord will provide. We we can pour out the water that we have, trusting in the provision that he's about to make for us. And so they pour out the water before the Lord and fasted on that day and, and, and confessed their sins. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah, which means that, that he accepted that. He, he uh, acted in the role of a high priest. And then he, he judged between in cases, which would be civil cases, between the people of Israel. Now when the Philistines heard the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And some said, Don't cease to cry out to the Lord for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. As he was offering the burnt offering, the Philistines came near to attack. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound, which is what he did on um, Sinai that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. They were defeated before all Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. What it means is a stone of help. It's the recognition of God's goodness in this place because he has done what he was asked. So they were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against them all the days of Samuel. The cities they had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, which is where Goliath is from. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in these places. Then he'd return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. And so at this time, they don't have a temple. They have the tabernacle still in operation. and, And so that's set up in Shiloh. And so he builds another altar over in Ramah which is near Bethlehem, to the Lord. It's important that we commemorate when God has done great things for us, that we remember these things. And the remembrance is not intended to be sort of, oh, we're marking a day. No, it's, it's bringing that day into the present and projecting it all the way into the future as well. Because the Jewish conception of time and the Greek conception of time were totally different. So it's chronos, which is a, sort of a chronological, uh, 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 straight line kind of progression of time. 
which is the past is in the past, and then there's there's kairos time, which is a Greek word for time as well. And so that kairos time is God's time, in which all times are present to him. It's a difficult concept to understand, to say the least, but, but all times are present. And so what we're invited to do in remembrance, and what the Jews were invited to do in remembrance for the fe- with the festivals, was not just to... To, to look back and, and uh, say, well, this happened. No, it, it's actually to put yourselves in the shoes of those who were there at that time. That's the reason they, they ask the questions they do, and they have the Passover meal in commemoration of the one that was before. And so they discuss the nights of the Passover, the night of Passover, and the events of the night of Passover in order to make those a present reality. It's as though you were there with those people. And then in the Feast of Booths, they, they erect booths in which to live. And so they don't have electricity. They don't have all those other sort of modern conveniences. And, and they still do this. They have access to those things, but they stay in the booths. And, and it's in order that they become part of that that, 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 that you become part of Israel's history and it becomes part of your life. And that you immerse yourself in that moment as though you were with them in that time. And so that's what remembering does. And so that's the reason that they uh, set up the Ebenezer stone. And that Ebenezer stone was to remind them, till now the Lord has helped us. And and you're projecting that then into the future. And and here in this gospel lesson today, Jesus sets up the very first, not Passover, but the very first Eucharist, the Thanksgiving feast, the communion that we celebrate today. And the point of that, and the purpose of that, is that because he talks about remembrance in that, and it's, he's speaking to Jews, and so when, when he said, this would you do in for remembrance of me, it, it's we're invited to participate in, in that Jewish conception of time and kairos where we are present with him at that place in that meal. So when the hour comes, he reclines at table. Remember, he sent them into town to, to find the place that they're going to celebrate this Passover, and it was uh, in the upper room of a man's house. So he, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the, the wedding feast of the Lamb is what he has in mind there. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks. He said, take it and divide it among yourselves. He's not going to participate in the drinking of this cup. I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so they're, they're to drink this until it's all gone among the twelve. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is on the table. For the Son of Man goes, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And so they began to discuss among themselves which of them it might be who was going to do this horrible thing. So he, he's, he is saying that the, the Old Covenant, is, is, uh, there's a symbol of that in the Passover, that God delivered them that day, and it's only later that he institutes the covenant at Sinai. And here, Jesus does the same thing. They're going to have the meal this night. And this is the sign of the new covenant, but the new covenant in his blood has to wait for the crucifixion and the resurrection and then ultimately the outpouring of the Spirit. Because all those things combine 
in the life of the believer to become the new covenant and the sign of the covenant. And so when we engage in the Eucharistic feast together, we're engaging in the remembrance of this particular night. And, and we are being brought into that covenant as apostles. An apostle is just simply a Greek word that means those who are sent with a message. And so that's our job. That's, that's what we're brought into this for. We're, we are receiving forgiveness of sin, as he said, and then we move into, back into, the life that he's given us to lead in his name and, and to proclaim him as the one who is the, the maker of the new covenant, but in whose blood the new covenant is initiated. And it, it, rather than, for instance, the blood of the animals that Moses or that Abraham sacrificed when when the smoking pot passed between them, so it's the blood of Jesus that brings in the new covenant. And the the wine in the cup is symbolic of represents that blood, and the body of Christ is represented in the bread. So and then in Acts six, what we've got is a problem, right? We begin with a problem, and that problem is is that the the numbers were increasing so dramatically, and you've got widows and you've got orphans among this crowd, and those people must be provided for. And so a complaint rises against the Hebrews. So from the from the Hellenists, the the, the Greeks, uh, the Greek Jews arose against the Hebrews, those who were just those who were Jewish but hadn't also become Greek because their widows, the Hellenist widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. There was a partiality shown to the Hebrews as opposed to the Hellenists. And the twelve summoned the full disciples and said, hey, it's not right that we'll give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. So pick out from among you seven men. And those seven men have to be of good reputation. They have to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we'll appoint them this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so they did, and they brought seven people before him. Stephen is the first one they tell us about, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then Philip, who is the first one actually to leave Jerusalem and go spread the gospel somewhere else. He goes to Samaria, and then God takes him from there and sends him to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so the others are Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. There, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So they've raised up deacons, men who will serve at table and handle sort of the administrative tasks um, that represent the church to the pe- the need of the people to the church and the church's response to that need. So, so they're responsible for meeting the needs of those among them who have who who have needs for food, for instance, in this particular case. And so that's their job. And so they're they're beginning to do these things. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a dramatic step to see priests of God, priests uh, of in Judaism receiving and believing in Jesus as the Messiah. It, it, we don't make enough of that. That's a huge thing that these priests, those who were born into the priestly family and who served in the temple, a great many of them, and there were a great many of them, by the way, um, are becoming obedient to the faith. And then 
Stephen, who, who has been nominated to be a guy who serves at table and makes sure the distribution is equitable between the Hellenists and the Hebrew widows, um, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Well, it sounds like Stephen was doing things that he, he wasn't really raised up to do. However, God does what he wants, with whom he wants. I, we were at Pauly's Island. The, probably the greatest ministry there in the seven years we were there was a deacon, Erlen Barnum, who God raised up as a teacher primarily to women. And huge numbers of people were coming onto our campus two days a week, every single week to hear her teaching and to be discipled and to be raised up as leaders in their own right and to become responsible for the Word of God. And so, so whatever we might think the office is, God has the final say about how, it, how it's carried out. And so then there were some of those from the synagogue of the freedmen and of Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. These are Hellenists. These are Greek-speaking, primarily Greek-speaking Jews. And the, these particular ones were, had formerly been slaves and had been set free. And so that's this group. Well, there's a, there's a parallel between them and the Hellenists that we see in the first part of this lesson. And so they began to dispute with Stephen, but they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so they did what we saw in the gospel lesson. They instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. In other words, he's speaking against the law, he's speaking against the temple, he's speaking against the Lord himself. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes just like they did the night before the crucifixion. They came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us, which is exactly what they accused Jesus of doing. And then gazing at them, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. You got a decision to make, guys. <laughs> are you gonna, what are you going to do with this guy? Because obviously there's something different here. His, his logic is irrefutable. And surely when they heard the charge, they realized that that was the same basic charge they had brought against Jesus. And that didn't turn out too well. In fact, that's the reason this guy's here today, is because he follows that Jesus that we crucified. And so it's another witness against them standing before them today and they say that his, saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It, it's, it's, they, they had to remember. I mean, they, it had only been you know, a short time since they had found Jesus guilty of these basic charges. And now here they are again, presented with one who is, who is one of them, one of the Christians, and, and he's charged with the same crimes Jesus was. Well, of course he is. He's saying the same things Jesus says. And so here we are, and now they have to remember. And you'd be able to do that because you were there. And so now, in all your soul, you know how dangerous this next moment is, right? But if you're afraid of the people, and you're afraid of losing your space and your place, then you make bad decisions. And they're going to make a bad decision here as well.